Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Right, well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the China Shop. Joining me today is the jovial and jaunty Jerry Paul. He is the CFA, Senior VP of Fixed Income, and Portfolio Manager of the Icon Flexible Bond Fund. How are you doing today, Jerry? I'm doing uh, great, Kyle. Thanks for having me on your podcast. No problem. I get all the titles. I think I think there's a few that I missed in there, like Morning uh, oh, Star. There's gave you there's a- an alphabet after it, but don't worry about that, <laughs> Kyle. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about today's guest, make sure you check out his website at iconadvisors.com. And if you'd like to reach out to us with any suggestions, corrections, or questions for future guests, you can do that via email at twobulls at financialineptitude.com. Or you can just join that free Discord server where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. We'll have all those links in the episode description so you can peruse them at your convenience. But now let's uh, let's just dive into today's discussion. So Jerry, tell me how you got started. Where did your journey begin? Well, Kyle, it, it began a long time ago. I've been doing this now for, oh, 47 years, I guess. Uh yeah, I started back with a mutual life insurance company in Iowa, uh, where I was born and lived the first 35 years or so of my life. Uh, oh, so you're not too far from Peoria then? Or not, too, not too far from Peoria. I've been to Peoria a couple times in the course of the I'm life. sorry. <laughs> but, uh, you know, well, not everything's perfect, but you know the people that live there, it's it's a nice community for them. So I like it. It's nice and out in the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah. We're actually down a little south of that now, but yeah, I, I like it. I like being away from the big cities. Yeah, and you know, I I grew up in a town of only six hundred people, so you know, I'm pretty oh, wow. I'm familiar with real small town uh, living. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and my first job that, you know, again, uh, kept me in Iowa was with, a, like I said, a mutual life insurance company. And it was mm-hmm. really there, Kyle, that I was you know, given the opportunity. I had a, a really great first boss, a guy named Mike Dobbs, who uh, really gave me a lot of free reign as a young guy. And, uh, mm-hmm. and we, I really working with him developed this value-oriented bond style that I use, 
where I don't really spend a lot of time trying to forecast interest rates or what the Fed's going to do. There's lots of smart people doing that. I don't think I have any competitive advantage over them. Mm-hmm. But what, what I developed back in those days was this bond picking style. And again, I'll repeat myself, but I, I, I refer to it as value oriented uh, bond management. And, uh, mm. and much as you've probably had some stock pickers on, uh, on your show. Oh in yeah. Last, you know, I would refer to myself as a bond picker and we're trying to identify things that, uh, have a unique value. Uh, oftentimes our competition, which is way larger than, than my fund, uh, they can't do some of the things I can do. They're, they're smarter, smarter than I am, but, but their size just prevents them from you know, being bothered by a million, two million, three million dollar pieces of paper or sectors. Uh, you know, Wait, um, two to three million is too small? <laughs> if, if you're wow, if you're the Pimco uh, bond trading desk and they just sent you an order to buy a billion dollars of bonds today, yeah, you can't oh. do it. Can't do it with ones, wow. twos, and threes. Uh, yeah, but I can. I can at a hundred and. 90 plus million, I can make a difference in my in my fund with that. But I also like to dig up areas, Kyle, where uh, they just can't play. Uh, you know, uh, the closed-in fund world has uh, uh, a lot of stuff that trades at discounts to its net asset value. And there's a group of activists that will attack those funds. Uh, I, I behave as a free rider on their backs, but... Uh, you know, right now, one of my uh, large, yeah, I, I like to joke, Kyle, that I'm, I'm basically lazy. Uh, <laughs> but, but uh, um, you know, my uh, one of my largest positions right now is a closed-in bond fund trading at an 8 or 9% discount. The activists just took over the board. They control 37% of the shares. They're about to take over the investment management contract. And I'm pretty confident that they're in the next month or two, they're going to create an event where I likely get net asset value for most, if not all of my shares. Well, you're going to have to, you're going to have to explain how that works. Like, well, first of all, like what is a bond? Let's, let's start with that. Well, a a bond is essentially a, a contract between, you know, the buyer and seller that, you know, states a maturity, states an interest rate, you know, has some covenants. Uh, those are, you know, legal um, mm-hmm. documents that govern uh, our relationship. But, you know, it's just, it's, I like to call it practical math, Kyle. It's really, uh, you know, it's perplexing to a lot of people, but it's in essence, it's just about present values and associated interest rates. And, uh, you know, again, it's just uh, math in practice. But I didn't realize, I guess, that uh, the bond market had activists uh, that, that get in there and do things like the activist short sellers that you see in, in the stock world all the time. That's, that's kind of nuts to me. What I'm talking about isn't so much in bonds per se, it's in the closed-in funds. And I might oh, need okay, I, okay, I might okay. I might need to define that. Some of your listeners may not be familiar with that, but 
you know, closed in funds that, you know, they can be bonds or equities, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I focus in the bonds, but they're basically unlike an open end fund, which is what my fund is in my fund. You, you know, all of your transactions, your buy, your sell is directly with the fund. And that's always conducted at net asset value. In the case of closed end bond funds, those have been sold uh, by a brokerage firm in an IPO type of a structure. But historically, for a lot of complex reasons I won't get into, uh, they tend to trade at discounts to the net asset value. Hmm. And that's what creates an opportunity for an activist and someone like me to try and capitalize on realization of that value. Because these things otherwise can trade at a discount you know, sort of forever. But if you get an activist coming in, and again, you know, to to your point a moment ago, you know, these are activists similar to the ones that you read about, you know, in the Wall Street Journal that, you know, a Carl Icahn type of person. Yeah. He's not one of them in this space, but uh, they're, they're in essence doing that sort of thing. And they're, they're trying to get a realize the net asset value. And the beauty of bond uh, closed-in funds, well, while you're sitting there waiting, they're paying you a good interest rate or a distribution. It's not always interest. You know, so the one that I was referring to a minute ago, while well, I sit here and wait for the activists to actually you know, get me to net asset value, uh, it's distributions over 8% to me. So uh, you get paid while you're waiting on them. And... Uh, you know, I've I've seen this activist in action for a bunch of years now, and you kind of get to know their mode of operation. And these guys have effectively, you know, taken control of the fund or you know, in the final stages. And it's just a matter of time uh, for them to create an event that they they want to get their money back out too and right. go, on, go on to the next thing. And so. It's just a matter of time and being patient, but I am almost at the maximum that the SEC will allow me to hold in, in this particular <laughs> fund. Uh, my compliance people are going to be watching me to make sure that I, uh, I don't uh, breach the, the level. The, the SEC dictates that I can only own so much of another 40-act fund, 40-act fund being a mutual fund. Gotcha. Um, man, you said like eight or nine percent um, that these bonds are paying. Like that's one of the things that I always like never really looked into bonds because I, I guess maybe I just don't understand. Um, but most of the ones that I ever looked at, like the the rate of return, just never looked all that appealing. Like, well, you know, again, it, it depends on what your your objective is. Most of the people using my fund are going to use that as you know a. a source of income, uh, mm -hmm. something something that's got, you know, less volatility, standard deviation, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, than maybe their equity portfolio has. They're, they're likely retired or moving close to retirement and looking for that reduced volatility. Right. Just something a little safer so they don't ruin or risk uh, drawing down their nest egg. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, who knows what what stocks are going to do. It's been a good year for them so far, but you know, if you're 70, uh 
you know, you're starting to think that, you know, maybe, maybe I should take some of that off the table. And so hopefully you're spending it at that point. (laughs) Well, and, and you probably are, but you know, and if you're doing that, you may want to, you know, some source of income, not be Mm -hmm. counting on, you know, catching the market on an up day. Um, and so that's, that's where I come into play is, uh, you know, getting used in that sort of, of an environment. But there's all kinds of uh, crazy fun stuff in the bond world that, you know, the average retail customer out there just never knows or sees this stuff. Uh, you know, last August, there was a, uh, a big jump um, in uh, the yield on airline equipment trust paper. I can't tell you why that happened, but it did. And I stepped in there and I started buying yields of eight to 10% on triple B rated uh, bonds. That's low investment grade. And uh, the yields oftentimes were higher than I would have gotten if I'd have bought a high yield or jump bond. And at the same time, I'm collateralized by the airplanes that you and I and your listeners are flying on. And if you've mm-hmm. been on one of those planes lately, they're full. Right. So I have the collateral of the aircraft uh, on top of uh, you know a business that's doing pretty good right now. So uh, getting eight to ten percent yields on that was was great. But that's not the kind of thing that your your clients, if they're trying to buy bonds directly, they're just not going to see that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I don't think I ever have. No, they. You know those those bonds again. The 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 bond world still largely is an over the counter market where you know mm-hmm. I'm talking to a bond salesman to buy you know the bonds that I'm going to buy. There's some electronic trading, uh, but for retail investors, it gets to be a little bit sketchy out there because you know the institutional guys, guys like myself will basically try to mark up the bonds that I have by a few points and see if I can, you know, get some retail investor kind of suckered into paying me that for them. So, right. Right. Uh, that makes sense. You know, again, the bond world, uh, you know, you and I were talking earlier, it's not well understood by most people. And, uh, you know, that's part of the beauty of it for me is that, um, you know, uh, where, where I spend most of my time is even murkier. I, you know, I'm not buying a treasury bond, <laughs> uh, not buying a, a mortgage bond. I'm, you know, I'm buying the, you know, triple B minus, you know, airline equipment trust paper that has a, right. my annual sinking fund on it. And I'm buying it at 80 cents on the dollar. So, you know, again, it's, it's a world where, I forget how many thousands of different securities there are, but it's thousands and thousands of different bonds out there. You know, your your listeners probably mostly think of it as, you know, the treasury world, which of course is yeah, it's huge, but uh, there's there's so much more, you know, beyond that that uh, that that's 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 my playground anyway. You mentioned like, so triple B, that's not necessarily great, but that's not terrible either. Right. 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 And, you know, you'd be surprised. So what's the risk then? Like, what is the risk when you, when you purchase that? 
the lower you go in quality, the higher the risk is, uh, you know, the company gets in trouble and defaults on their bonds and, you know, bonds can trade down, you know, from par, which is 100 cents on the dollar to, you know, maybe 40 or 50 cents or sometimes even get wiped out. Oh, I see. So you're purchasing these from, but you're basically, the diff, the, the spread comes from the faith and whether or not that that's actually going to get paid. That's right. And, okay. you know, the higher, the higher the risk, the higher the spread on it. You know, a typical, right. you know, the junk bond indexes right now were, oh, something like four to four and a half percent over treasuries. In my world, that gets called 400 to 450 basis points. Yeah. With one basis point being a hundredth of a percent. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of tight right now, I think, Kyle, if you're expecting a recession down the road. And I think we're heading that way. Yeah, I think you mentioned that on the TD Ameritrade network I listened to back, um, I think that was during the the bank collapse uh, when SFSBB went down. Yeah. And, you know, so I'm kind of careful in that regard now. I, I, anything that is, you know, high yield. I'm trying to get collateral protection on it. I'm trying to be sure that, you know, it's not real dicey. You know, I don't buy triple C paper, which is, you know, some of the riskiest. You know, most of mine would be double B, mm-hmm. a higher quality, high yield, if you will. And then the investment grade world, you know, it's it's unusual for something to to default if it's a triple B or a single A. Yeah, especially when it takes a while. Like when, as I said, the bigger the industry, too, then you also have things like government bailouts that probably can help you out, too. Yeah, you always want to be careful counting on the politicians. Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's just a nice little backstop, I suppose. That <laughs> but in my time, in my time at Icon, I haven't, uh, I haven't uh, held a bond and had it default. So. Well, Again, that's good. <laughs> you know, if you're paying attention, you usually kind of getting a heads up on things. So, and again, that's mm-hmm. that's an advantage of using a professional manager like myself or my competitors. You know, is that we spend full time doing that. Your your listeners are hopefully you know out playing around the golf or boating with the grandkids mm-hmm. or you know doing other fun things. Not not diving into the financial statements on a quarterly basis. Well, that's, uh, I think we probably do that too, but we enjoy that part of it. But, uh, you know, so again, that's where a fixed income professional can, you know, can, you know, help, help people out. So it sounds like, so you're not necessarily counting on the yield of the coupon itself. You're ne- you're more trading the, the difference in the value from what it's priced at now to versus what you think it should be priced at going forward. Yeah, that's oftentimes what I'm doing, Kyle. You're spot on there. Okay. Um, but that makes, I can understand that. And that makes a lot more sense and probably has a lot more room for, or a lot more potential for reward. Yeah, you're looking for a total return, not just the yield. Um, right. That's how I've, you know, I've managed my whole career for, for total returns. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, and, and the more unusual things are, you know, the less competition there is for them. And so you know, mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I, I tell my sales force, send more money. I always have more ideas than capital. And, 
<laughs> a day like today is a perfect example. Fortunately, I came into the day, uh, frankly, by, you know, mostly accident, sitting on a mm-hmm. decent amount of cash. And I'm, I'm using this big treasury sell off over the past couple of days now to go ahead and buy some of the stuff that, you know, I wanted to buy or that I had already owned. At discounted prices from where they were the uh, the other day. I got a got a new position. I started in a closed end fund yesterday that I hadn't really been able to buy it cheap enough, and it cheapened up yesterday. And I got started on it, and I've got a little more bought today. But you know, it's it's looking at an environment like today that's been kind of hostile. And finding opportunities in it, and there's almost always opportunities. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, what's the name of the the fund that you manage? In case people want to look that up, I think we should probably link that. The Icon Flexible Bond Fund. Uh, there's an institutional share, and then there's a, I believe it's an A share. I'm uh, I'm kind of out of my water when I start talking about some of that stuff. I think about bonds. <laughs> I think about bonds all day. I don't think about share classes. <laughs> right. Uh, I think it looks like the tickers are IOBZX and IOCBZ. Is that correct? That sounds right. Yeah, I'm always okay. think, I'm always thinking in that institutional share term. Right. <laughs> but yeah, we're having a good year against our competition again. If you look at my year to date, my one year, my three year, my five year, they're all you know in the top. Uh, oh gosh, five or ten percent. My tenure, which is almost all mine now, uh, a few more weeks. I think we're in the top fifteen or twenty percent there. So oh, that's impressive. Yeah, pretty consistent, good long-term record. Well, that consistency kind of makes me uh, think that this next question is going to be <laughs> a foregone conclusion there. But are there specific markets that you think you trade better in? Well, I, I I probably trade better in a bearish environment like we've been in, uh, mm-hmm. and you know I usually uh, historically I've been more defensive usually than my competition. Morningstar cited me for that way mm-hmm. back when uh, when they named me fixed income manager of the year that I protected people and back then I was running uh, strictly high yield and I protected people in the late nineties downturn in that space. So, so yeah, I'd say, you know, more defensive, but, uh, you know, that, that said, I've, I've been doing pretty good in, uh, you know, the past 12 months where we've had, you know, some, some rallying going on. I think I'm up over 7% on a trailing 12 month basis. Oh, wow. That's nothing to sneeze at. For a bond fund, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. 
Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, S-P-U-L-L-E-N at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. You, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago that you were expecting a recession. Like, what, do you think about that? Like, does that play into like how you position yourself or do you just kind of take opportunities as you see them? Well, it plays in, Kyle, but, uh, you know, I, I'd be kidding yourself and myself if I said that, you know, it's always a dominant thing. Uh, you know, I mentioned mm-hmm. that earlier that I think yield spreads are, you know, too narrow in the high yield world for that. So it tempers me on what I'm doing. It doesn't stop me from buying high yield, but it may have me characterizing it like I did earlier, where, you know, some of my airline equipment trust paper is double B. But again, I have collateral there and an underlying Mm -hmm. business that's really doing well. An interesting holding that I have. Uh, you've got any listeners in the Cincinnati area? I think we have some Ohio listeners. <laughs> there's there's a very small issue of Cincinnati Bell, and because of its size, you get paid a you know a couple percent extra over and above uh, what you'd see in other stuff. And so I've been a buyer of that. I may be the largest holder of it because it's under a hundred million dollars of bonds, which you know, falls into my sweet spot because again, the big guys can't compete with me there. Right. But it's rated, it's rated double B, Kyle. But I have a first lien on all of the telephone equipment that helps service the Cincinnati region. Now, if if they were to file chapter 11, the bankruptcy court isn't going to let me take that equipment away. They're going to they're going to tell Cincinnati Bell to keep paying my bonds <laughs> while they work it out. And they're probably going to get bought by AT&T or somebody like that. Right. But it's rated double B because it's uh, it's held by, a, you know, it's owned by a, a high yield holding company. And so they can, own, the rating agencies will only rate it so high. I was joking when the, you know, they were talking about the debt ceiling and, People were fretting over where they was the government going to pay their bills, and I said, "Well, I own this telephone company bond. It's a junk bond, but it's probably you know safer right now than the U.S. government is." And uh, <laughs> but it's it, I own the, I, I have a position in my fund of you know two to three percent in that thing, and uh, I think it's as good as gold. You know, so it's that kind of tilting, if you will, that I will do. When I think that you know things could get uncomfortable in that space, so with this with this telecoms company that you you mentioned, like did you have to negotiate that for the bond purchase in order to have the the cell tower assets backing it? You know, Kyle, that deal was done a long time ago, and I came in, you know, in the middle of the party, if you will, and uh, so. You know, I knew I knew when I was buying it that I had that lien. It was sold mm-hmm. originally as a first lien bond, and it, that was all done when it was still an investment grade company, and that was kind of a standard issue, if you will. Uh, but you don't see that much anymore. And then, in the course of time, 
you know, they got sold to this, you know, holding company structure as private equity. You know, you might get a kick out of this. I call it the Willie Sutton School of Investing. You go where the money is, Kyle. The money's at the telephone <laughs> operating company. And that's what this that's what this pond is. It's a it's skipping down through the you know, the holding company level to where, where the real money is. And uh, you actually might be better off if AT&T did take it over because. Oh, I'd love it. Should only, yeah, right. I'd love it, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, I bought so this. It's almost like I it can't most, lose. I've bought yeah. most of it to yield 9%. You can't get 9% on AT&T money. They, they most likely would call it as quickly as they could because they don't want first mortgage bond outstanding either. Right. Uh, no, I, I'd be delighted if that happened. Uh, call right. call AT and T up for me and suggest it to them. Yeah, they don't listen to me. Oh. <laughs> you think you think you're small potatoes, and uh, I'm well, even smaller. I, I I I give you that as an example of how you can um, how you utilize that. You know, build a build a portfolio even uh, with credit even when you have concerns that credit spreads might widen out and mm-hmm. uh, or default rates, we're already seeing default rates tick up. Um, this kind of paper, I won't tell you it's 100% safe from that, but it's probably 99 point something safe just because of the first lien on the equipment. If they did get into right. trouble, historically, you know, chapter 11 is is intended to bring you out as a restructured company that can operate successfully. Right. And the bankruptcy courts have historically allowed companies to continue to make payments during bankruptcy on essential equipment or uh, property. And so, you know, if Cincy Bell was to have troubles, they're going to let them keep paying on this first mortgage bond, just as they would let the airline keep paying on the equipment trust paper. So, right, yeah, they got to have their airplanes in order to keep flying. Exactly. So that's that's a big factor in my thinking, uh, especially in the last couple of years in buying high yield related paper. And sometimes there's a special situation uh, in the space that justifies. You know, taking the risk to, you know, I could bore you endlessly with stories about some of that stuff. But uh, well, I'm about to ask you about 2008, 2009, what you saw there, like the lead up to it and coming out of it, what you were doing, how you were positioning. Actually, back then, Kyle, I was running the merger arbitrage hedge fund. And, oh. uh, <laughs> I, you know, which is uh, merger arbitrage is a lot like buying zero coupon high yield bonds. Um, but I, I actually, uh, closed it down and returned my money to my investors just about the time Bear Stearns went belly up. <laughs> oh, wow. You so, timed that perfect. <laughs> was that on purpose or my, did you see oh, the yeah. writing on the wall? Yeah, no, I, I was looking at things and I said that, you know, the merger arbitrage world is changing and I don't think I can, you know, invest, uh, safely in the fashion that I told you I, I could. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah, we, we returned the, our investors, our partners money. And uh, I think it was March of 09. So that's what oh, I was, good. that's why I was doing then. It was a period of time where I wasn't directly investing in fixed income all the time. 
<laughs> it sounds like you got out at just the right time. Uh, you know, sometimes you're lucky, you know, but I like to think that, you know, it was paying attention to what was going on and, you know, right. we, were, we were going into a bad meltdown. Are you seeing, like, are you seeing similarities between that time period and kind of what happened uh, recently with with uh, the three bank failures that we had in, back in April? Well, it, it had the potential there. Um, you know, that's what got everybody spooked uh, mm. initially. Um, but it was a different kind of problem. Uh, I think a lot of it unanticipated. We, uh, I don't think we understood how swiftly um, deposits could move. Uh, that's changed. <laughs> that's changed a little bit. It was also the character, at least for SVB. Uh, you know, the well, character- SVB was mostly um, venture capitalists, right? Right. That's invested correct. there. That's I got to think they're probably a lot more flighty than your typical um, bank depositor. Well, and, and they were huge deposits. You know, it wasn't yeah. mom and pop deposits. It was, you know, maybe fifty, hundred million dollars and more. Uh, in some right. cases. And so, you know, fewer I, you know, pull our $25,000 deposit, that's certainly one thing. But if somebody else pulls $250 million, um, <laughs> you know, but yep. back, back to your query, uh, you know, it had, it had the potential to escalate. It didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's, and that, and that calming down, you know, that was what became especially different from the 0809 meltdown. You know, that was also a time where, you know, you had a lot of securities that everybody thought was AAA, um, but they were built off of those questionable mortgages. And uh, Right, right. And so that, that made the problem different. That was clearly going to impact capital. Um, it did impact capital, um, you know, with with the this year's banking crisis. If it was, um, it was really more about the liability management and and the access to to the money. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a little bit more like the old Christmas movie. It's a Wonderful Life, uh, where <laughs> you know, uh, the depositors wanted their money. And, uh, uh, in today's age, you know, you can, you know, with a punch, a couple of, you know, things on your keyboard and mm-hmm. you know, the, mon- the money's moved, um, uh, a little different than, you know, having to go in and, you know, show them your passbook and, you know, ask for right, money. Right, right. That still takes three to four days for a large sum to clear. Which... So, yeah, it was, it had the potential of, of, Thankfully, it didn't escalate. Um, you know, the regulators got onto it. They were way slow. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. it was obviously a regulatory problem that got us to that point, too. But uh, for me, again, it created an opportunity in this, uh, you know, I, I right. bought a bunch, bunch of this, you know, what's known as fixed-to-float paper, um, you know, Bank America is one of my larger holdings right now. When I was buying, it had fallen four or five points, bond points. So from, say, par to 95, 95 mm-hmm. cents on the dollar. 
and it was a 520 fixed coupon um, that was going to reset against LIBOR, 300 and something over LIBOR. And LIBOR, of course, was heading to, it was into the fives. And so... What is LIBOR? LIBOR is the London Interbank um, overnight rate, which is now okay. going away. It's going away uh, because of a scandal from years ago. But anyway, on June 1st, my Bank America 520s became Bank America 863s. So I'm getting 8.63% on triple B Bank America paper. And with the environment that we've been in, I think, you know, we're starting to emerge from it. They're not, you know, they're, the market's not real receptive to refinancing that stuff right now. And so mm-hmm. I think I'm going to get my 863 and it'll, it, when it, if it resets on uh, September 1st, because it resets quarterly, I think my rate will begin to approach nine uh, for Bank wow. America paper. Now, I, I wow. also also had the same opportunity in Prudential paper. So, you know, once again, an, uh, you know, an advantage of professional fixed income management that, you know, a, a typical retail investor wouldn't wouldn't have had access to that stuff. So. Did you uh, did you gobble up any credit Seuss? Or did you no, stay away from that one? No, no. I didn't feel <laughs> like I, I didn't feel like I knew enough about that. And as, as I noted in an earlier remark, I get nervous when it involves government <laughs> and uh, you know the complexities uh, yeah. that come into place on that stuff. I, I felt a lot safer you know, buying Bank America paper. and I would have too. Again, you know, it's it, it's important to manage your risk-taking. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I probably haven't made enough of a point of that. But, uh, you know, that's something as a professional uh, fixed income money manager, you know, that's part of my job too for, for the, mm-hmm. you know, financial advisors or the retail customers who are using my fund is to, to try and, you know, manage the risks that uh, are, are appropriate to take and the well, magnitude of is it. there is there opportunities for someone to do what you do without the bankroll that you have? Or is the best best chance that you have for trying to take advantage of some of this stuff is to, to invest in your fund? Yeah, the the institutional market in the, you know, like the airline equipment trust paper, or this fixed to float stuff, you know, that's not really, that's not really going to work for a retail investor. So <laughs> is, that, is that your dog in the background? Uh, that's my wife's dog. Uh, I took her to the airport today. And so I'm now babysitting her dog and my son's dog. And I'm okay <laughs> with, I'm okay with dogs, Kyle, but Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have a dog except I married this beautiful woman 49 years ago and she's a dog lover. So by default, I'm a she, dog lover. <laughs> how long has she gone for? Uh, she's down in Texas with a girlfriend for 10 days. So I just be- said, um, I got to pick my wife up from the airport this, uh, this evening. Uh, she's uh, been gone since Saturday and I've been pulling my hair out with boredom. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I, I'll be, I'll be eating out a lot. And, uh, right. Uh, you know, That's the one I'm good gonna, thing is I got I'm, to eat some I'm good gonna food. Be, I'm going to be forced to mow my own yard here sometime too. Oh God. Uh, uh, don't yeah. get me started with that. Uh, but, uh, 
But yeah, the you know the dog sees the shadow and it barks. It's, if I come into the house, it barks at me. Uh, oh, so it's, but, but, <laughs> it's definitely yeah, her they're, dog. They're they're good animals. Oh, yeah. My grandparents had a dog that would, uh, whenever you'd stay there, they'd you'd wake up and they'd just be staring at you, waiting for you to leave. <laughs> <laughs> These stare at me, hoping I'm going to drop something on the floor for them. Exactly, so, exactly. But, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I I see absolutely nothing going on, uh, you know, that would cause the dog to bark. But it barked. It saw some shadow, I guess. Yeah, what are you gonna do? Well, uh, there's one of the questions on here that you you suggested um, during the the planning of this. Uh, best advice for investors after your 40 years of experience managing a portfolio. What's your best advice? Oh, there's a couple things, I guess. You know, do the best you can to understand the risks you're taking. And you need to be patient. Those would be the two things uh, that I would note. Um, understand. Let me ask you, was there a specific incident that uh, made these stick out to you? Oh, you know, it's it's a long time of, of investing uh, in, you know, the kind of stuff that I do. Um you know, it, 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 you need to be patient. Um, you know, bonds don't move like, a, you know, a, a Google or a Meta or a Nvidia. Or you know, this, this is this is slow motion stuff. Uh, you know, I, I used to tell people what I do is about pennies, uh, mm-hmm. about dollars. And, uh, and so you need to be patient. Um and you know i've just you know i've experienced lots of different um levels of risk over this you know 47 years i've made made some mistakes and i'll probably make some more um misunderstanding a risk that i thought i understood you know and that begs for you know diversification uh, because you're not always going to be right even if you're a professional investor so those those are the things that I think about that when I'm out talking to financial advisors um, and they're trying to, you know, do those kinds of things in the best interests of their clients. Um, we talk about that kind of stuff a fair amount of the time. As, as a CFA, like what are some of the qualities you think someone should look for uh, when they're trying to select somebody to help them manage their money or to give them advice? Well, um, this might offend some of your listeners, but I'm really big on fee-based advisors as opposed to commission-based. Um, mm-hmm. I think um, I would agree if, with you on that. If if you're looking if you're looking for a financial advisor, they really need to be prepared to customize to your needs. Uh, they need to be somebody that you're going to be comfortable with. They don't have to be. Uh, the great investor. They need to have the tools and the skills to find somebody like me uh, Mm -hmm. or others. There's plenty of others out there to make those investment decisions. Um, I really think a financial advisor for for people, um, some of the best value they bring uh, to the table, Kyle, is helping uh, individual investors uh, stick with it. And not panic, right. not panic in the 
tough times. There's always tough times, uh, but that's the worst time to to lose your cool and and to forget what your real objectives were. And uh, uh, so those are the things that you know I would look for in in a financial advisor, somebody that takes the time to really understand your situation. You know. There just, you know, not everybody's unique, but there's plenty of unique situations out there. And uh, one of the uh, piggyback on that, uh, one of the CFAs that I've talked to, uh, maybe it's like a year ago or so. He said, um, take note of the secretary or the receptionist or whoever checks you in and see if she's happy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can learn a lot by how the people treat, you know, the people that are the support staff. If she's not happy, then you probably don't want to be there. Well, and oftentimes those are some of the most valuable people uh, right. that you're going to find because a lot of the times uh, your advisor isn't going to be readily available. Um, right. And That's the person and who's interacting on your behalf. You want them to be at their best. Off, oftentimes. And, uh, you know, no, I think, I think that's a, uh, a worthwhile suggestion. Uh, that you received from that person. So, yeah, you know, again, interview several people and make sure you've mm-hmm. got a, chemi- a, chem- a good chemistry with each other, you know, because hopefully you're in it for the long haul with your advisor. I think that's very well said. Uh, Jerry, where can people find more information about about you, about your funds? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. If you, if you reach out to me and you're not... You don't look like you're, you know, in Nigeria. Uh, I'll, probably, <laughs> I'll probably add you to my to my contacts. Of, I don't know. I think I'm around three thousand. I don't do much on LinkedIn just because of regulatory issues that I get myself in trouble on. Uh, yeah. Our our website has uh, papers that I've written on uh, on the market. I don't write off, and I only write when I think I have something different and unique to say. So you can find stuff like that on our website. There's a bio on me, you know, uh, uh, on there if you care about that kind of thing. Um, those are, are different ways. You can Google me and you'll find some quotes and other things I've said. That's all historical kind of stuff. Well, I'll make sure we put all those links in the episode description so everybody can find that. Um, Jerry, I just want to say thank you for, for taking the time here. I really appreciate learning a little bit more about how the bond market actually works and uh, definitely a lot different than what I thought. Well, again, I I do it a lot different than others too. And so there's... Well, it makes a lot more sense now. Well, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways to, to go about it, but mine's, mine's been pretty effective now for the 47 or so years I've been practicing it. But I'd like to thank you, Kyle, for taking your time to oh. to hear me out and have me on on your podcast. Well, I appreciate that. I don't think you're the first person who said thank you to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, we have come to the end of our time with Jerry, but you don't have to be sad. Check out iconadvisors.com if you want to know more. Make sure we have all those links in the episode description. And we'll be back soon with another exciting episode. But in the meantime... Hammer that five-star rating like Big Daddy Powell fighting inflation and take care.
Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.